0: Good, you made it, congratulations. You know, first big snow of the year. Anybody else, I'm excited for it, anybody else excited, come on. I didn't, I didn't move to Reno to have easy weather, come on. I came to be challenged a little bit, you know. So we're starting our series today um, in Philippians and like we said, we're gonna be going line by line through this thing, if you come every week, uh, for the next eight, nine weeks you'll have been you'll have studied through and worked through all every line of this chapter. And uh, it's it's exciting because what I think this is gonna do is this is gonna challenge all of us to become students of the word. It's going to be, challenge all of us to become pursuers uh, as a student of the Word of God. And let me just give you a little background of the book of Philippians. Um, it's written by a man named Paul. Uh, Paul has been doing these missionary journeys, and at this point when he's writing the book of Philippians, he finds himself imprisoned, um, and, and we don't know the exact timeline of this imprisonment, but he is getting close to the time of his execution, Um, He's getting close to the moment where his life will be taken, his execution will happen. And why I say that is because I want you to hold that memory that this is what Paul is facing while he's writing this. Throughout this study, because if you hold on to this idea that Paul is facing execution while writing this, it really changes how you view it. It changes how you see the the writings in this passage. This is a writing from Paul. It's it's known as an epistle. Um, For you who want to sound like a a smart Bible scholar at lunch today, uh, when you go to your server, an epistle is, is a piece of scripture that's written in letter format by an apostle. It's written as a letter to be read. It's written as a letter to be read to the church. That's what Paul is writing one other thing about this epistle is most of Paul's letters are written uh, out of correction or chaos, I like to call it. Usually when Paul's writing a letter to something, it's usually addressing something that needs to be corrected, or it's a time of chaos in that church. But this book is different. Paul is writing this with a heart of gratitude and joy. You're going to see joy as a huge theme through this passage, but let's jump into it. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says this. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I love this passage because if you read it here, it's writing to all who belong to Christ, the church leaders and the deacons. It's it's writing to everyone who's a Christ follower, the ones who are leading the church, the elders of the church. And I love this because it starts that this is a Paul, this is a letter from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ. That's how he starts this letter. And he's writing to every group of people and he's starting it by by proclaiming that he is a slave to Christ. I wanna ask you, when you think of your relationship with Christ and if you are describing it, Would slave be a term you would use? See, because why Paul is writing it this way, he's he's saying he's enslaved to Christ. He he is fully submitted and owned. His life is totally given over to Christ. It is not him who lives anymore, but Christ who lives in him. See, I think this is so important is because my fear for us in the American church is we get so guilty of making Jesus a part of our life sometimes if we're honest even an equal playing field like it's me and Jesus are working this out you know so I see this all the time and if you have this on your car don't write me an email just like choose grace and you know like I see this bumper sticker on cars all the time it says Jesus is my co-pilot every time I see it I'm like what why would Jesus be the co-pilot Jesus should be the what? The pilot. Jesus, it makes me, every time I drive by one of these cars, I just want to like drive really aggressive so they get the hint like, Jesus should be driving. <laughs> like, this is a fear of mine that the church, we'd become so like, Jesus is just a part of my life. Jesus is just a part of my world. He's supporting me. We are called to be slaves to Christ, as Paul puts it. That's why I think it's so important that he starts this letter and then he continues to go on that my God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ would give you grace and peace. It says in verses one and two that God would give this grace and peace. What Paul is saying here is that this idea of grace and peace in your life is a gift from God. Anybody want peace? Anybody, Anybody want that in their life? Paul says it right here, grace and peace come from God. Verse three says this, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Once again, he's writing to the church of Philippi, he's saying, every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. Why he's saying this is because the church, that church of Philippi was very generous to Paul. They had been supporters of his ministry, had been supporters of the expansion of the church. You see that in Acts 16 and 2 Corinthians 8. If you want to look at those, but you can see the church of Philippi were financially supporters of Paul. They had been backing him. And then verse four says, as he continues this thanks, whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with what? Joy. Joy. Just joy doesn't make sense. Once again, Paul is where? Prison. On his way to execution. How is he riding with joy? How is Paul praying with joy here for them? Because Paul has something that I think all of us crave, but we don't know how to get it. Paul has an understanding of what true joy is. If you look at the actual Greek translation, the original translation of the word joy here, it translates back to a word that represents grace. Paul's joy is not a feeling or an emotion, it's it's in a response to the overflow of grace in his life from Christ Jesus. So in the midst of a trial, in the midst of imprisonment, he can still pray with joy because he has so much grace. He can still love and support and be joyful because Christ has given him so much grace. I think so, so often we live our life, we're in this pursuit of joy. Man, I, just got, I, gotta, I gotta do this and I'll be happy. If I find the right person in my life, I'll be happy, I'll be joyful. If I find the right job, I'll have joy. If I get the right car, I'll have joy. And we just on and on and on. It's because we're pursuing joy by the earthly standards of joy which is an emotion. When you understand joy, joy is not an emotion, it's a gift. Joy is a gift from God. That when you truly are pursued after him and are under him and repentant and living your life for him and you're just thankful for the amount of grace that he's given you, this gift of joy is given to you. I'm not saying that there's not things in your life that make your life better. But if we begin to become people who are pursuing these things for us to feel joy, we'll constantly be let down. Have you ever had this experience? Don't raise your hand or anything, but you know, if you ever had this experience where you've planned a vacation out of a, like a time of desperation, marriage has been struggling, work the last couple months has been really hard, we're going to Hawaii, right? And you get to Hawaii, and of course Hawaii is great, but then you come home. Things are still broken. Job's still hard. And you had a moment when we are designed to not put our pursuit of joy into these things, but a pursuit after God who can only give us real joy. Amen? Let's keep going here. Uh, Philippians 1, verse five says this. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you heard it until now. This is just once again Paul thanking them for partnering with him. This church has been supportive of Paul. But I want you to hear one thing important out of this line. It says that you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it. Very big line in this passage. Because what the church of Philippi didn't do with Paul is they did not wait and see if Paul had everything figured out before they supported him. They did not wait and see to see how the end for Paul would be. And then they jumped on board. They were supporters of Paul from their early stages. We, we live in a culture that's very much a wait and see culture, right? The Church is doing something, God's doing something. Let's just wait and see before we jump in. I hate to say this to you uh, in such a blunt way, but there's gonna be times in your life that God is gonna call you into things where you cannot wait and see. You're gonna have to trust. You're gonna have to trust, just like this church did in supporting Paul. Verse six says this, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day of Christ's return. Certain that God would continue. I love this passage because the certainty is important here. He's saying, I'm so certain that what God has begun in you is gonna finish. Has God, when you read scripture, for the Bible scholars in the room, when you read scripture, is, there, is it, where's a reference of where God starts something and doesn't finish it? Where, where's a reference where God begins a project and it doesn't come to conclusion? It's, there's not. God finishes what he starts. So if God has begun a work in you, right, what's he gonna do? everybody repeat after me with this I am not finished Amen I am not finished and there's some of you in the room right now you're hearing that and you're saying okay thank goodness because I know there's still a lot of work to be done there's some of you that are like Shane I've been doing this for 40 years I thought I was almost finished You are not finished, you are not finished. How do I know this? Because the word of God says so. That you will not be finished until the day of Christ Jesus. And I break this down in our small group study a little deeper this week, this passage in verse six here. But this day of Christ Jesus, ultimately meaning the day where you are with Christ. You're with him. You will not be finished until that day. This is called the sanctification process. That you are pursuing, following, changing every day. What does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? If we acknowledge that we are not finished, that we are called to continue to grow, we have to have a faith that's built on more than just moments, right? We all have moments in our faith. I'm not saying moments aren't bad. We have big moments. Some of us, the moment we accept to Christ. I mean, that's, the, that's an amazing moment. We have, we have the moments of like worshipful, just moments in our life. We have those songs and those sermons that Dan preaches that we love. And we have these things. But here's the truth. For us to be in this process, to acknowledge that we're not finished, comes with the acknowledging of, I need more than just moments in my life. Verse seven says this. So it is right that I should feel as I do about you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and the defending and confirming the truth of the good news. I find this passage interesting because the idea of defending is interesting, isn't it? When speaking of the gospel, And speaking of the good news of Jesus, how does one become a defender of that? As Paul is calling us to. Well, let me start here. 1 Peter 3.15 says this. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. How do you become a defender of this gospel? Is, Is you become ready to proclaim it. You become ready to discuss it. I wrote down just a couple things here when it comes to being a defender of the gospel, it speaks of in Philippians 1 7 that we should be focusing on. One is we should be focusing on study, we should pursue a deep study of the Word of God. There should be a passion in us to pursue study of the Word. How, how do we become defenders and proclaimers of the word if we don't know it? How do we become s- proclaimers and defenders of the gospel if we are even unsure for ourselves the certainty of it? This is what Paul is calling this church in, and he's calling us, the church today, through the letter that's been written, written to be read to us, is to become a studier of the word of God. To study the word. Second is this, to seek understanding. We are called to seek understanding. No matter how much time you spend in study of the word, there'll be things in there you don't understand. Some of you are like, oh, I thought I was the only one. No, we are called to seek understanding. There's people around you in your life that have a deeper understanding of the word that you could go to and ask questions. But most often what we do is if something doesn't make sense, we just say, well that's not for today, that's not for me, that doesn't fit in our culture, that doesn't fit in our society, that doesn't fit in my life, so we just push it aside. I wanna challenge you with this. As you learn to study the word, I want you to seek guidance because it's written with you in mind. It's written with our world and our culture today in mind, and we can't just push it off. One of the best things in my life, one of the best things in my life was meeting Dan Frank. Don't tell him I said that. Uh, you can't, I guess. I'm meeting Dan and becoming someone who was being mentored by him because there were so many times I had questions, and I was bold enough to go to him and say, Dan, I don't get this. And he helped me understand it. I want to challenge you to be a, someone who studies and someone who seeks guidance in your study. And the last one, the third one is this, stop. You're like, stop, you just said start. Okay, here my stop. Stop trying to add. Stop trying to add to the perfect gospel of Jesus Christ. Stop trying to put things in there that weren't designed to be in there. Stop trying to work your way to salvation. Stop trying to add these other theologies and these other ways of thinking into the gospel of Jesus. Here's the thing why we do this so often is the grace and gospel of Jesus often sounds too good to be true, amen? That he died for me. He took my place. And that he pours his grace out on me that sounds too good to be true. Here is the crazy thing. It is too good, but it's true. It is too good, but it's true. And so we want to try to add all these other things. I hear, you're like, Shane, I don't do this, but I, want to, I hear this all the time in talking to people. I'm a Christian. I, I follow Christ. I'll be talking to people who are proclaiming to be Christian, but, but But I also like this teaching. I like this area, I like this, deal. I like this kind of, I like this concept, I like this thing. And we try to add things to the gospel when the gospel stands alone, amen? And the last one is a stand. Stand, stand for the gospel. Be someone who's willing to stand for truth. Be someone who's willing to stand up when, when we live in a world that's asking us to sit down. Be someone who's willing to stand and proclaim truth in a world that sometimes hates truth. Be willing to stand. And why I say this when I stand is we never want to become apologetic for the gospel, do we? We never want to become apologetic for the gospel of Jesus. We should be proclaimers and defenders of this truth. But I think for us to do this, we have to have an understanding of the gospel. We have to understand it deeper. Because here's how most of us think of the gospel, if we're honest. I think of it this way. If for you who have kids, right, one of my favorite moments in life is when I ask my kids to take their dishes from the table to the sink. It's like you never know what's going to happen. And if you accidentally give them the glass plates... And they're moving and they're like, okay. And they get distracted on TV and they're coming this way and then their sister's over here and they're like, hey. And the plate's like hanging on my one hand and you're just like, don't drop it. Don't drop it. Here's how a lot of us perceive the gospel. We think of it as like this very, very fragile, breakable object that we as protectors and defenders need to hold and make sure that we don't drop because if we dropped it, it would break and shatter. That's not the gospel. That's not how we're proclaiming the gospel. We're not saying, "Oh, it's this it's this really breakable thing." How we proclaim the gospel? It's more like saying, "Hey, there's a bulldozer coming. It's gonna come. It's gonna happen. You better look out. You better notice that it's coming. We're proclaiming, not protecting. The gospel doesn't need our protection. Christ's message doesn't need us to uphold it and protect it. It stands alone as truth. We are proclaimers of the gospel, proclaiming its entry. Amen? Proclaiming that it's coming. Philippians 1 8. God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I love this again because Paul is speaking in a way of him and Christ being one. God knows how much I love you, that it's not him that lives, but Christ who lives in him. And then the next verse here in verse nine, it says, I pray that you lo- your love will overflow more and more, that you'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. It doesn't matter how much you've grown, you still have room to grow, amen? amen. I pray that your love will overflow what? More and more. And you'll keep growing in knowledge and understanding. When I read this passage, I just see Paul speaking to a group of people, the church of Philippi, who are doing great things. Aren't they? He's He's not condemning them. He's not correcting them. He's writing to a church who's killing it. And I want to say this to you, Grace. We're doing a lot of great things. Amen? God's using grace in miraculous ways. I never want us to get to the place where we are saying we made it. I want to hear the words of Paul and to continue to grow in love and to grow in our understanding. Verse 10 says this, for I want you to understand what really matters. Okay, just said continue to love, continue to grow. Paul follows it up with, I want you to understand what really matters. Anytime in scripture, I'm gonna give you a little hint for Bible study. Whenever it says, literally, print, this really matters. It matters, right? Like you should lean in a little bit here. That we're growing in this. So that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. That you will live pure and blameless. I, wanna, I just wrote down three things today that I want us to leave here today focusing on growing in. You could, you could take verses nine and 10, and there's, there's eight, nine, 10 things you could practice growing in. But I just want us to take a couple today and make stuff in our life, strategies, plans in our life that we could grow in this. The first is this, that we continue to grow in love. That we continue to grow in love for our communities. We continue to grow in love for our relationships, and for our families. Our friends, our kids, our siblings, that we would make purposeful attempts to grow in our love. And how do we do this? How do we become, how do we continue to grow in our love for people? We pursue the heart of Christ. The more we pursue the heart of Christ and his heart for people, not ours, the more we'll continue to grow. Amen? I'm convicted by this all the time. Whenever I say, pursue the heart of Christ for people, I'm always like, oh, I know. It's hard though. Because there's some people that only Christ could love. Right? There's some people that are hard to love. Good. Because you're still growing. And you're not what? Finished. So yes, they might be hard to love. Yes, there might be broken cir- circumstances that are around them but I can still work towards the heart of Jesus in my life and his people. Second thing is this, that we continue to grow in knowledge, that we would have a heart to grow in knowledge as Paul is continuously saying to this church, is saying to us today, that we would have a heart to grow in a deeper understanding and to study the word whatever that is for you. For some of you, it might just be taking it to the next level. For some of you, it might be starting. It might be starting. I I hate to break it to you. If your only study of the word of God is when myself or Dan is talking about it, you're missing out. You're missing out on so much. I mean, I'd like to think I do okay. But it wasn't designed. The Word of God was not designed to be studied by me to tell you once a week. The Word of God was designed for us to wrap our whole lives around it and to be diving into it and for it to invade our soul and to change us and shape us and morph us and change how we see the world. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. which then will lead to the last one that will help us grow in discernment. I want us to grow in the discernment in our lives, that we will know what is right and what is wrong, that we would know what biblical truth is and what the world's standard of truth is. Hebrews 5.13 says this, for someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, Who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between what? Right and wrong. You are not called to stay as an infant of the faith. You are called to grow. Some of you are like, Shane, I came at Christmas Eve. I'm I'm brand new. Hey, I love you enough to say, let's start growing. Don't wait. Some of you have been going and you've been part of church for a long time. And if you, when I read that passage and it talked about being an infant and still relying on milk and not knowing things, you automatically had conviction. It's time to start growing. It's time to start maturing as a believer. And and I know some of you are like, man, Shane, this doesn't like feel good right now. Good. Because here's the truth. I love you too much. I love this church too much. I love you too much to say, it's okay, just stay where you're at. I feel like I have a call on my life, and Dan does as well, to stand up here and say, it's time to get moving. It's time to start a pursuit of growth in our life, a maturity in our faith, amen? Last verse, close with this. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. I love this because what God is in the business in is transforming sinners into righteous people who glorify Christ by bearing fruit for the kingdom. By bearing fruit for the kingdom. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. That that salvation in you, what Christ is doing in you, there would be fruit that would come from it. Fruit that would worship him and grow and it would just praise him through how you live your life. I love this line because it says this. May you always be what? Filled. Here's the greatest thing about all this. God fills us. How crazy is that? Like, all, like, all of this. May you always be filled. God does the filling. All we have to do is take a posture of willingness to be filled by Him. Take a posture of saying, God, I'm here, use me. God, I'm here, grow me. God, I'm here, I'm here to worship you. I think for 2024, all of this, We just need to start with a posture change. A posture change willing to be filled and change from the inside out. Amen? Amen. That we would have this posture of saying, God, fill me. And we'd see the fruit of our salvation. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for the truth and Philippians that you've given us today and pray that you would just work in us and use this to transform us, challenge us. Pray that we would be filled with the fruit of our salvation, that there would be fruit for the kingdom, that you would be worshiped and you'd be praised, and we would have a posture of growth this year. We love you, we praise you, it's your son's name, amen.